Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and welcome to The Ziggler Show. In this episode, how to win Shark Tank. And you're going to listen whether you want to or not. If you have a business or are thinking of starting one, here is a show you're going to want to get equipped with. It's going to give you a powerful filter to structure your business or even just your idea around. So Pierce Mars, he's a true sales professional who started his career uh, in sales at age 19. Now at the age of 56, he's done over 250 million in sales. He's a student of what Zig calls the right way to sell with morals and ethics and putting the other's needs first. And as you'll hear, it's not just the right thing to do, but the most profitable. So we start the show talking really pure sales, including how Pierce's faith plays such a powerful role in his sales profession. But Pierce does more than just sell. He's owned several successful small businesses. He's a renowned business coach. For almost 10 years, he's hosted the Shark Tank Fan Podcast. And from so closely auditing every episode, he's now written a book, Could You Survive Shark Tank? The Shark's top seven questions every entrepreneur must answer. So we spend the second half of the show discussing the focus of the book, which are those seven key questions that Pierce realized are almost always asked by the sharks to every participant. So as we say in the show, this is for anyone in business, regardless of whether you need investor or outside money. It's just an incredibly valuable, as I said, filter to audit your business or idea against. So Pierce has his book, Could You Survive Shark Tank? And the Surviving Shark Tank Assessment at sharktankbook.com. You can also connect there with Pierce about his coaching and speaking. So we'll get started with Pierce Mars right after I let you know what else we've got for you and share some great products and services. Well, Pierce, man, it is so cool to have you on here. We have uh, known each other for a long time. And of course, you were a key figure with uh, Free Agent Academy back in the day when I had that helping entrepreneurs and your expertise was sales. And as far as I know, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've been in sales. Has, has that been your vocation for the get, you know, for the, for the long haul? Yeah, I started when I was 19 and, and I've been doing it for 30 something years. It's been a, uh, it's been the thing that's changed the whole direction of my family or our, you know, ability to make an income and actually changed our legacy. It changes the way I think, uh, learning to deal with people. You know that we've talked about that so much when I've been out to Colorado to visit and over at your dad's place here in Franklin, Tennessee, but it's been, uh, yeah, it's, it was a game changer for me when I was a kid and didn't know what I wanted to do. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, but sales has been the center of everything I've done. And it's, uh, helped me in so many ways I can't even describe. It's been great. So you started great. started at 19. What got you What got you involved in it? Uh, anything well, th- specific or just kind of stumbled into it? Well, here's the thing. This is that's a great story. I'm glad you asked. The What happened, you know, I was uh, 19 years old. I was living in a small rural town in Tennessee. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'd been on my own since I was 16, since my parents divorced. And, uh, and so I became acquainted with a guy who was one of the number one salespeople for one of the pharmaceutical companies at the time. He was the number one in the country. And, and he's also a clinical psychologist. It was a really interesting combination. Um, that guy went on to be very, very successful. He's still a friend of mine. But what happened, he met me, and we through a se- uh, sequence of events, um, we became friends, and he saw in me, he said, I really believe you've got the skills to be a salesperson. 
And I said, really? Because nobody, you know, my family took disc profiles or, you know, the guidance counselors in my school weren't doing anything to help. Yeah. You know, they were just like, you were just supposed to go to work and make a living. Right. You know? um, and so this guy, he, he, uh, he kind of started mentoring me. He let me ride along with sales calls. He gave me this great book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah. And uh, he introduced me to Zig Ziglar. He introduced me to, you know, a lot of the, the great, you know, thinkers of that time. And I started becoming an avid reader in, in about this subject. And then, uh, you know, I started learning about empathy. I started learning about a new way of thinking, Kevin, that was, uh, it wasn't all about me. It was all about the customer. And, and, uh, and so, <laughs> interestingly enough, what happened, I, I took my wife, Lisa, and I took my little six-month-old uh, son, Nick, who is getting ready to be 35 on Sunday. Oh, wow. And we moved to Franklin, Tennessee, into this guy's spare bedroom. And he got me an interview for my first full commission sales job. And I went in there, sink or swim, to start hammering it out and, and learning how to sell and talk to people. And, and here I am, a, uh, you know, a southern boy from Tennessee, and they gave me uh, to the, the territory they wanted me to start calling was Boston, Massachusetts. So I'm a southern boy in Tennessee calling people in Boston, uh -huh. trying to get them to articulate what I'm trying to say. But it was a baptism by fire. But it was the, the beginning point of changing the, the people I hung around, um, the, the sales career that, I, that, that changed our course of life. And, and, and again, the rest is history. But that's how it happened. And I just didn't fall into it. I, had, I, think, I think God placed somebody in my life that helped direct me. And I, I, I will stand by that till the day I die. Well, you mentioned right off the bat that somebody saw you and said, hey, I think you may have what it takes to be in sales right there. I mean, you know that there's, I mean, there, there are qualities that you need for sales, but as Zig says, you know, nobody is born a, a professional uh, salesperson, but having some of those skills, right, just right off the bat, what would you say those are? What you're looking for? If you're looking for a salesperson, you're looking for somebody who fill in the blanks. I think the first thing that most people look for in a face-to-face -face sales person type situation where you're going and talking or seeing customers, you're going to have to have the ability to, uh, to feel comfortable meeting new people and introducing yourself and breaking the ice and making that an initial connection with new people. I think that uh, you've, you've got to be a little bit outgoing to be a salesperson. I'm not saying that every, every type of salesperson needs to be, but if you're going to go out and make sales calls and meet people, you really need to have that, that ability to connect with people face-to-face uh, -face and on the phone uh, very quickly and uh, and have, a, have the kind of personality that enjoys it. Well, and that's interesting because I spent most of my life have in sales and I am, I am comfortable uh, and confident in it. Now I've done my homework. I've put my, you know, Malcolm Gladwell outliers, 10,000 hours in it. I am a significant introvert. So I turn that on so I can do that it taxes me some. So where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is it fair to say, so somebody who is more extroverted, it may be more life-giving. I mean, you're not worn out. You enjoy it. It's fun. You're talking to people all day. I do that, but man, then I, I need to go recharge. It wears me out a little bit more so I can have a comfort level. I just want people to hear that because it's, it's as 
there's, you know, and we also talk about introverts and extroverts like they're thoroughbreds. You're either one or the other. And of course, we're all on the spectrum. So that's right. where I fall, I don't know, but I'm more on the introvert side. I like my alone time and it does. It's a little taxing to be with people, but I am comfortable uh, doing that. So as you see sales people, I mean, yeah, I think we've all seen the ones, man. They, I mean, they'll just talk to anybody and everybody and talk and others who are, well, I mean, even Zig, I mean, he was, he was somewhat introverted and he was pretty specific, mm-hmm. um, with, he, that. he learned the skills, he learned okay. the skills. Yeah. And, and also another thing, I, I don't want to make it sound like, like I mentioned that every person has to be that way. I think there was another factor in what the guy saw in me and what, and that was the fact that, that I, you would draw people, you have, uh, mm. you draw people to you and, and you don't necessarily have to be outgoing to draw people. It's a yeah. matter of being interested in people, yes. being a good conversationalist. And, um, and a lot of, uh, more, more introverted people are better listeners than the people that are outgoing that are wanting to be the life of the party kind of thing. So to me, there's, um, it, it's, as I learned more about selling, it, it did, it became less about me and my personality and more about how I was interested in the other person and what they were, uh, what they were interested in and listening to their issues and making sure I was connecting with what, how I could help them. That, that became the center of the success. The people that don't do that, just, they're just not as, as successful in sales as they should be. Well, I, you mentioned, um, you know, learning to ask, it's not, I think people with sales, they think about this is how I have to go talk. I have to tell. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in your book, I mean, your focus of, of the main chapters are questions. And that's, that's what I like. Yeah. I mean, the, if, if the, the, what, the thing that we're to be skilled in as a salesperson is knowing the right questions to ask and also being aware. Would you go, go into, as we're talking about and, and I didn't mean to get into personality style so much necessarily, but if you look at sales and you mentioned those of you who are doing, you know, face to face one on one sales, I mean, there are a lot of different types of sales. So, right. absolutely, I, yeah, I am not, I'll tell you, I, I don't like uh, cold calling. That was one that's very, I don't, I, I don't know if everybody, anybody loves cold calling, but it was very uncomfortable for me. So I'm looking at a different, what sales can I do where there's a warm lead or I have some kind of connection point? I really want to start there some, to somebody who has some level of interest than the cold call. And I think other people, maybe more of an extra person is much more comfortable with that. So maybe the personality style even dictates the type of sales you go sure. into. Okay. Sure. I mean, you're an introverted person is not going to enjoy cold calling. I'm just going to tell you, there. If they do, they're a rare rarity. The uh, the person that's more driven, more A type, more D in the disc would be somebody that has less emotion about it. They don't feel yeah. rejected when somebody says no. If they get thirty no's, they're not going to care. And um, and so that that's a that's an important factor. Um, but I believe there's ways that you can alleviate that pain. Um, and it comes back to what we just said. If you can become an expert at asking questions and becoming a great listener, then the, the, the road to being able to do business with that person becomes so, uh, you know, it, it's a short road from there. It's a, you, you can get there pretty quickly if you can solve their problem, if you're the right person to help them with what they need. It's, it's not that far if you can come up with a good solution for them. I've seen it happen over and over. And what was, what has been historically your primary area of sales? Describe that for people. So they know that, you know, some of the, even if it's changed and evolved some, some of the primary um, sales, you know, platforms that you had, what were you selling? What was the, what did it look like? 
Okay, yeah, it's um, uh, almost my whole career I've spent in, the, in an, an industrial type uh, sales environment. I've been working with um, customers um, that um, have loading docks and very industrial type equipment. And, and as my career evolved, I got more into working with contractors that were building new buildings for people. And I would help them, um, you know, get what they needed for the customer for those buildings. And that's uh, as a, you know, for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, that's what I've exclusively done in my sales career is work with contractors. And what happened was um, the companies I was working for, they recognized the fact that I had the ability to build relationships. Yeah. So I haven't been cold calling in a long time because what I've, I spend my time doing is getting a new opportunities with a contractor and building that relationship so that we can maintain that over the long haul. And so um, if you can imagine uh, Amazon right now, in spite of all the things that are going on in our country, they are on a building spree. They are building new warehouses and buildings all over this country. Yeah. They're spending untold billions of dollars on building stuff. And I'm responsible for three or four buildings here in Nashville that are going in for some of the equipment that's going into that buildings. And, um, and it's because of the relationships I've built and the things that I've done to, to help, help move through that. And it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot because you have to be consistent. You have to be responsive. You have to communicate and, uh, and you have to, you know, sometimes you make your money, not, not necessarily when you get a new contract, it's when fulfilling that contract and making sure that it goes all the way through to the end and they're happy when the whole building's finished and everything's okay. So I've learned the sales process is all the way from the time you meet them to the time the job is done. So to that degree, do your clients view you as much a, a salesman as you're a, a partner in the process that they're counting on for a solution? Absolutely. I, you know, they'll, they'll joke around and say, say they'll call me a salesman sometime for fun. Say, you know, Hey, we don't allow salesmen in here, but at the same time, I am their partner. I'm the guy that when it comes to my expertise, they call me to say, what do you, what should we do here? How should we handle this? What is the, what is the right product? What is the right application? And so I become an, you know, the expert in that field to help partner with them, to help them not make a mistake, make sure they're putting in the right equipment. So it's a, it's, it's really fun to be in that role because that's when sale selling is fun. Yeah. Is when you're literally helping people get the right thing that they need for their company. So in this uh, arena of industrial sales, if I can say, if I can just, you know, give, give it that label, what is a, an average sale for you? Can I ask okay. for revenue? Yeah, uh, I would say that in the past um, six months, I have received contracts that have been in the $100,000 range. And um, last year, I did one that exceeded $2 million. Wow. Okay. And so, so for people to understand that, and you know, we got a lot of sales people and wannabe sales people in there. Can I ask what kind of a commission that you can expect on sales of that nature? Yeah, you can. What, what's, uh, what's, what I love about uh, the particular company that I work for now is that they, they reward you on the profit. Okay. Some people get paid on the gross volume. If you just sell you know, $10 million for me this year, then I'll give you a bonus of this amount of money and that sort of thing. This company is solely based on how much profit do you create, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Because profit's what matters. Yeah. I mean, I could be selling stuff. I could be the lowest guy in town, not making any money and doing big numbers. 
doesn't matter. They sell, they, they base that on the profit. So in, in this particular case, let me give you a scenario. Um, if, uh, if I, if I sell a project and, um, and it's a, let's say it's a, a half a million dollar project and there's, um, there's a hundred thousand dollars profit in that, then I get to keep 35 to 40% of that. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So I, they let me keep 35 to 40% of every dollar profit dollar I sell. Okay. So if somebody, I mean, it's a great question. If somebody, uh, I mean, you met, you mentioned your one of your sons, right? You have two. I have two, Nick and Nathan. Yep. And are they both in sales? Um, neither one are in sales right now. One of them is working for a bank, and one of them is working. Uh, he's 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 interviewing for a sales job with a company, okay. but he's in, he's kind of in transition right now. Well, so okay, so interviewing for a sales company. So if somebody's looking at sales, and I, not that we have to do a. a, a, a you know, training session on all the different types of sales opportunities that are out there because they're huge. But if you look at that and say somebody who does want, I guess it gets into, you know, what kind of lifestyle do you, do you want? What kind of income level do you want? What kind and in the lifestyle and sense of, do you want to travel? Are you going to be gone? Cause we know sales jobs, especially oh, high yeah. ticket ones that are, that are that. But if you looked at, well, here, let me, let me put it here. When you look at the culture right now, you're talking about Amazon, which you mentioned that, and I'm uh, outside of Colorado Springs, and they're getting ready to build a big, one of their big warehouses here as well. But if you look at the landscape right now, of course, it's all goofy uh, at the moment with uh, COVID. You know, where do you see good opportunities? I guess you could even ask the question, if you were starting over today, you know, is it, would you go the direction you're at now or, you know, what arenas would you gravitate towards? In that, in that particular case, you know, I, as you know, because of my relationship with you and your dad, I've been doing a lot of coaching and stuff for the last 10 or 12 years. And I'm really, um, seeing, seeing that go well. Um, but really what I'm doing right now is not going to change because unless they find another way to move goods from one place to another, my, my income lies in the fact that there's warehouses that store that equipment and they, they offload it and they load it. And, and I'm the, I'm the guy that provides the connection between the tractor trailers and the warehouses for safety and for all the equipment they need to handle that part of the job. So there's doesn't seem to be a slowdown in that, in the fact that we're going to continue to be moving product through rail trucks and ships and all the other things that's going on so as long as material is being moved from one place to the other my industry is going to be pretty stable okay so i don't see any slowdown in that because amazon uh, any online platform they they may be delivering it to your door you may not have to go out and get it it may be so convenient but somebody is moving those products from somewhere to they so they can get it to your door yeah and as long as that's happening I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay. You are listening to the Ziggler show in our episode with Pierce Mars on sales. And if your business could survive the shark tank guidelines, uh, and of course, surviving shark tank is the title of Pierce's new book. Well, next I asked Pierce about the personal and professional growth that most helped and was needed necessary for his sales and business career. Uh, we're going to jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. So as you look at your life cycle of sales, your, you know, your career personally, along the way, where were some specific areas of uh, personal or professional? Uh, and, and, and I think when I think about sales and how personal it is, it's hard for me to separate those and maybe you don't, but just the growth 
you know, like an area of growth. And you look back to yourself 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, and say, man, to go from there to where I am here, an area of growth that was really beneficial. Maybe you even wish that you'd gotten it sooner, or it's an area where you would say, look, to anybody who's going into it, here's where I would focus. What would it be? Well, you know, there's, there was, there was all kinds of phases <laughs> and you know, this as well. I mean, you, I told you about the mentor I met when I was 19 and he gave me some basic knowledge of what I needed to do. Um, I got my teeth kicked in for the first three or four years trying to learn this process. It wasn't something like I just read the book and I went out and did it and it worked. I, I had to, I had to fail. I had to do, you know, that was, that was tough to, to get used to, but I, but I was really trying to be self-aware of what I was good at and where I was making mistakes. And, um, and, you know, so many people along the way, uh, from a personal and professional standpoint, you know, gave me permission to, you know, be the man that I needed to be from a moral standpoint. There was a lot of people uh, in this industry that I'm in, uh, there was a lot of people that were doing unsavory things to try to get business. They were taking people to places they shouldn't be taking them. They were providing gifts and things that they shouldn't have been doing. And I, I had an 80 year old boss. Um, and when I was 30, that told me, he said, he said, you should never, ever, ever um, go against your morals to do something for a customer. If what you're doing and you're providing the service that you're providing is not enough, then you don't need to be doing business with them. And, uh, and I know that's not the big answer, but, but that's one, I, there's those little things along the way where I was, you know, uh, you know, just for example, um, it was, as I think of things here, one of the things I loved about your dad is that I was eating lunch uh, with him somewhere and believe it or not, it was Mexican. <laughs> no, I know you're surprised. No way. Yeah. But, but you know, I was so focused on work and trying to take care of the customer and everything. Your dad got a call from your mom and he put his finger up. He says, stop family first. Hmm. You seen him do it. Hadn't you? Yep. He picked up the phone, talked to his wife. And that at that moment, I, I, I had known that I had done that with Lisa where I had put the customer first or the business thing first, whatever I was doing. I thought, you know what? There's nobody on this earth that's becomes before her. And so at that point in time, uh, when I go to a restaurant now, I lay my phone down. I said, I'm, I'm only laying this here in case my wife calls. Yeah. I tell the customer that. And so having priorities, I, I guess that's the big thing I want to say, Kevin, having the, the, the uh, priorities that do not undermine your faith and your morals and what you believe is most important. I believe you can be that man that you want to be and then and, and you can be as successful as you want to be. You do not have to bend to what the world or what any particular customer thinks you should be. Oh, Pierce, and you know that we have a highly, uh, here at Ziggler, a faith-based audience. Zig was right. one of the most effective guys to get up there and talk to everybody and, with love and respect and to be open about his own faith, his own, his own Christian faith. And so as you talk about that and talk about morality and, you know, it's so easy to look at that as, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. And you can do that and almost, uh, almost perspective, you can do that and still, you know, be successful in your field or successful in sales. Or would you take it on the other side and say the reason that Pierce Mars has succeeded to the level that you have today is because of how that has impacted those relationships and people know that they can count on you. I think the second one. Absolutely. I think that, um, 
it probably goes hand in hand, but at the same time, um, when you, you know, I, I've not been that kind of salesman that can just sell stuff on a street corner and, and you know, shout out and, Hey, you know, buy what I've got yeah. and be, you know, it'd be barking to, to sell something for a one-time thing and then never see the person again. You know, there's people out there that have the ability to do that. Uh, I learned early on that relationship selling was my focus, was yeah. my best it fit my personality. It, it, I was the best at that. And when you think about building relationships, I mean, you've got to go into that. Um, the customers that I have relationships with now, we play golf together. Yeah. Uh, we get invited to their house for a birthday party. It's not, there's no line between business and personal. I mean, we are friends and we call each other up to, you know, we get, you know, congratulate on graduations and, and, uh, you know, and, and sometimes we talk about music. Sometimes we talk about playing, you know, uh, songs and concerts. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a whole different level that, that and if you're going to do that, then you have to have a, a similar idea about how you want to live out your faith in your life. Yeah. And uh, most, most all these guys that I work with, they have similar beliefs that I do. And if they, even if they don't feel as strongly, they respect it, you know, and they know, they all know Lisa. They, most of them know my kids and we've, we've, we've done things together and, and it's just a, it becomes, uh, you, you can't be one thing at work and be something else everywhere else and then expect this to work. It's like the rest of the world. And I believe if I, I don't have to pretend I can be this Pierce all the time, the same guy. And, and, uh, I think that, that works the best for me. It's interesting to me, Pierce. You know, we're in a day and age when it feels like in the world in general, but in business as well, that the uh, we, we, t we try to not stand for anything, not try to put anything out there. We don't want to offend, especially right now. We're in a volatile, you know, time of literal in the you know past days, even of of such, you know, offense and, and hurt and, and things. And we get, can get the concept, I think of, yeah, we need to be careful not to step on any toes. Now I know you're not just like Zig, you're not out there professing something to say, Hey, you need to believe the way that I do. But man, with say, I mean, sales is trust when we know that Zig said, you know, it's a transference of feelings. And in that, I know that I, I said this recently to a business partner said, I, I value, I want to be involved with people who do have fairly strong beliefs that stand for something, even if they're different from mine, as opposed to somebody who does it. Cause I just can't relate to it. And especially if we're talking about trust. Uh, so you saying that even though not everybody may share your exact faith or your level of faith, they respect it. And yeah, again, in sales, which I'd say as Zig does, we're all in, we all want to influence. Man, I, I want to, if somebody has a different belief, but they're, they, they have a strong belief they have, uh, and, and they know why they have that. I respect that and want to be aligned with them more than somebody who just says, no, 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 I'm just vanilla. I don't I, no platform out there and you're living it out. It's what pays your bills. And what's interesting about it over the years, uh, which has been another thing that's happened as I've worked with different companies and done different things is that, um, you know, there's been times when I've been the designated driver huh. and, and it's never cost me any credibility. There's been, never been any peer pressure because they know where I stand. You know what I mean? So it's, it's been, um, it, it's been great to see how people respect that. If you are a man that believes in, in certain things and, and have certain standards about what you want to do, most people respect it. And the ones that don't, don't really matter. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so at the same time, you know, as we go through this really, really difficult time, you know, whatever your feelings are about how people are hand, handling uh, the COVID crisis uh, or what's going on right now with the, uh, the riots and the, uh, and the protesting, um, you know, Lisa and I've had long, long conversations about this and, and I just really, you know, I'm not going to disrespect some the way somebody believes. I just don't think you're going to get very far in the world by, because, because they're just going to, they're going to dig their heels in. So I, I'm, I, sh- I have my own thoughts. I have my own feelings and I'll share them with somebody that asked, but I'm not going to go out and try to force somebody to believe the way I believe. And uh, hopefully I can just show them, you know, yeah. that, uh, that, that the, everybody's not bad. You yeah. know, we're all, we all got to get along. We all got to get along. Well, you, 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 so you're in sales, you're doing well, you're still doing well in that, but at some point, and I, I don't know the exact story, Pierce. I mean, you're involved with business. You're involved with business leaders, business owners, right. and you obviously developed an interest in that. And I don't know how that's been going on as long as I've known you, your interest in just business. And yeah, as you talked about your own coaching, well, just take us into that. What, what, what began that channel of your vocation as well? Well, it's funny when I was talking to your dad on Monday, we, we, uh, we went back and discussed the, uh, we met on a train hmm. with in the 13, let's see, 12, 12 years ago. Caleb's 24 now, right? Yeah. All right. So he was 13. Wow. Then. So that was 11 years ago, whatever. We, he was, they were celebrating his birthday and taking him on that train, your mom and dad. Hey, and folks, listen to that. That's my son, Caleb, my oldest son. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, Dan, Joanne, and Caleb were on this train. We met then, and uh, I had just joined the 212 connection. Yep. You remember that? Yeah. And, uh, and so we had, I'd been on a call on Thursday. I had talked to your dad on Friday for the first time ever. And then I met him on a train on a cold and dark and rainy night. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it was a really great happen chance meeting on a train that would, it was just totally unexpected, but I had been listening to his show on Sunday night on the radio. Yeah. And I started hearing about this coaching thing and that, that really started making the transition toward well, this is really a way I could give back because there's been so many people, so many mentors that have given to me, including that guy that moved me into his house back when I was 19 or I was 21 at the time. Um, and, and so I thought this is a great way for me to give back. So I started out by doing some career coaching through 48 days. And, um, and what, and then as I, as I figured out, Oh, you know, this coaching thing is really something I could do. Uh, I transitioned into some sales coaching and that has turned into communication coaching for business owners, which can be a salesperson, can be a business owner, can be a business team. Uh, I'm working with, with multiple teams right now, uh, and, I, and I've emphasized through disk profiles and through communication that, that, that the, the things I've learned in the last 35 years, um, I work with people on that. I've, I've really developed a focus over this period of time. And, uh, and you know something interesting, Kevin, hmm. as I've is I've tried to be uh, a better coach and tried to hone those skills and to, to be more, you know, more prepared to help people with those situations. My sales in the last 10 years have been bigger than they've ever been before. Every year my sales have grown while I'm coaching, which is says something about being a teacher. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've learned more. I'm more introspective. I got more self-awareness and, uh, and it's helped me. 
it's helped me tremendously. So that that's what, but I've, I've been continuing to do sales. I, uh, and I still do the coaching. I work with people and, um, and I, I train people on disc profiles for their whole team. So they have to, they can hire better and they can select better, you know, situations for their teams. And so that's a blast to me. And, uh, and, and along that, uh, along that whole way, I've been, uh, I've been podcasting, uh, <clears throat> with, uh, for Shark Tank for the last nine years as well, which is, uh, you asked about the business component. I love business. Yeah. I, I love talking about it. I love new ideas. I love the sales process. And, uh, and so co- combining my love for sales and then watching this crazy show called Shark Tank where real people are bringing their business into a, a, an arena where they can uh, negotiate with people that are going to spend their money yeah. to invest in a business. I, I was fascinated with the idea after the first season. So I started, I started this podcast, uh, you know, recapping the, the episodes and interviewing the sharks, interviewing the, uh, a, a lot of the people that have appeared on the show, uh, just studying and breaking down why they got deals and why they didn't, why this product would work, why this wouldn't. Uh, I just, uh, I've, I've loved it and it's helped me get a greater understanding and it's helped me work with businesses to help get to the reason why they are failing or succeeding mm. or where their greatest, uh, you know, need for help is. And that's, uh, that, that's how that all, that all comes together. It's all evolved from me finding out what I love and putting it all together. Well, and I want to, you know, as you talk about that, so yeah, you've got the, the podcast, the Shark Tank fan podcast. And I'll, again, I'll hold this up for people watching uh, the, now you've got the, could you survive, survive Shark Tank book that this is, uh, this is for you. People need this, even if you don't need investment money, I want to put that right out there. So if you're thinking, ah, you know, it's, I don't need, I don't need investment money. That's not the point. This is about, I'm going to say you know, how to structure and conceptualize your business for success. Is that fair? It is. And here's the thing. You make a great point, Kevin, because I wrote the book not to help people get on Shark Tank, yeah. but because there was a business here in Nashville called Moosehead Kettle Corn. They, they sell kettle corn to the Titans games, the um, Grand Ole Opry, the farm, farmer's market. They're a six-figure company. They're debt-free, and they're owned by a couple right here outside of Nashville. And he called me one day. He found, found me and was able to call me through the website, contacted me, and said, hey, is there any way you could meet with me? I said, well, sure. So I, I met him for lunch somewhere and, and, and the guy was, um, he, he was under, had a little bit of little stress because they had signed up to be on shark tank as kind of a little, somebody dared them to do it. Well, they said, we're never getting on that show in a million years. Well, guess what? They called for an interview and said, we're coming to bring the cameras and film you for shark tank. That's nuts. And so all of a sudden, he was at a position where, okay, do I want to go on Shark Tank? Do I want to have a partner? Do I, when here we are debt free, we're making great money, we're having the time of our life. What would having an investor do to change the dynamic of our successful business? Would we have to scale? Would they want us to go nationwide? Would we have to create a manufacturing facility, have more cost, have more issues? We sat and talked for an hour. And when he let, he got it from the table, he said, "You he said this conversation has made me understand I don't need to be on Shark Tank." He mm-hmm. chose not to be on Shark Tank in front of eight or ten million people, getting all that exposure mm-hmm. and trying to get a deal with a shark. 
because he knew what he wanted. He knew his business. He understood it. He, he, he knew what the problems would be with trying to scale that business. So that inspired me to write the book. I said, what do you, how well do you know your business? Why are you succeeding or failing? What questions are you going to ask yourself to determine whether you are doing the right thing for your business? That's where it came from. Well, and that's what I want people to hear, that if this is you know, ultimately the right questions to ask yourself as an entrepreneur. So if you've got a business idea, if you've got a business that's already uh, started. Now, most of the show. And, okay, here's an admission. I, I'm one of the few Americans who has not watched much of Shark Tank just because we've never had regular uh, TV. So nothing against it. But I'm aware of it. And of course, like you, I know Kevin Harrington. We've had him on the show and I've done some stuff uh, with with Ziggler with him. So I know the concept uh, here. But most of the most of the companies on there or, or actually are, are all uh, past concept. Are, there, there's not many concepts, are they? Aren't most of them already generating some business? Well, it's it's helpful. The, the people okay. that get the deals usually have sales of some kind, okay. but you'd be surprised at the number of businesses that are just an invention that are, uh, maybe they've done a Kickstarter program. Maybe they've just, ha- there's been people on there that only had the, you know, ha- had the, the, the rough idea. Oh. And they were just, they, they, they've actually pitched that. That's not the rule. That's the, okay. you know, that's one in one in 25 probably or so, but, uh, there's all kinds and, and, um, and, but, but most of them do well if they're past concept and they've actually got some sales and they've got some numbers and they've proved viability for the product. But, you never know what's going to happen in there. Well, and I want to run, so I want to run through it because this is in so many ways, this is an audit of <clears throat> Shark Tank on what you have mm-hmm. seen and what has been successful. It reminds me of, gosh, you probably know the guy. I've got his book behind me. The guy who just wrote the uh, the Bezos letters. Um, uh, shoot, I can't remember the author's name, but he just wrote it. it was based, I know you're about. yeah, it's based on the shareholder letters from from Jeff Bezos uh, to to the shareholders, and he, he just audited. It. He wrote a book about it. Um, and so this is, I mean, you've been, yeah, you said for nine years you've been doing the show, you've been auditing the show. I don't know how long, how long has been sh- the show been on air. I mean, it's, it's actually in the 11th it just finished the 11th season 11, okay and um and so i've been re- i've been recording for 10 seasons and um and I, I didn't record the first season that's when kevin harrington was mostly on there their first and part of the second season um but but yeah for 10 seasons i've been recording episodes uh for the show and and you know what happened you know is i kept seeing the same questions being asked yeah in some form or fashion over and over again. So I started doing an audit myself and all of the hundreds of questions that are being asked, they fell into seven categories. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know what, if a, sh- if a shark that's a billionaire or a millionaire is asking these seven questions about your company, shouldn't you be asking yourself? That was the point. Let's, so let's walk through. I, I literally want to walk through it. these. I mean, number one question, do you have any sales? Now, again, so if somebody's got a concept or an idea, uh, of course you don't. But getting to that, and I will say from an investor standpoint, and I've been on both sides from bootstrapping business, uh, businesses that take in, uh, in investment money to pitching investors on a business that's existing and on pitching a concept. And, and I'll say the, the hardest place to be is pitching an investor 
uh, on a concept. Very difficult. I, I would Very say difficult. if there's any way, shape, or form, go out there and get a sale. Get yourself to the point of a sale or at least some sales before you talk to an investor. And, and especially in this day and age when there's so much opportunity, there's so many people that investors can talk with. If they're going to talk to concept, it's probably to one of their fellow billionaire. That's when you you hear the you know napkin idea that they put billion, you know right. a bunch of money into. It's usually some people who've already done a lot as well. So if you're starting out, man, if you can get some sales. So so talk about that. So they that question right there, that's your lead off question. Do you have any sales? I mean, is there, there's nothing that showcases the viability more than that. It's it's a it's a question that every person's going to get that walks into that shark tank. When they're finished making their pitch, they've presented, they've passed out samples and they're all having they're yucking it up, having a great time. Soon as that's over, Kevin O'Leary or one of these sharks is going to say, tell us about your sales. Yeah. And a lot of times the sales is connected to valuation because they come out there asking for $300,000 for 5% of their company. And they will say, are you really worth that much money? Yeah. Is your company worth several million dollars? So they want to know, man, man, with that, uh, that valuation, you must have a lot of sales. And, and so that's where it starts. And what, what I believe matters the most and you and you've seen it yourself is that that sales proves viability if if that means there's a group of people that have been willing to pull their wallet out and yeah. pay money for what you're doing they must need it they must want it and if they don't have very good sales or no sales at all then the doubts creeps in well how do you know anybody wants this yeah. you know and so um sales becomes the a top priority and 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 in most of the cases, it's going to it's going to get them to the next step. Uh, un, you know, like we talked about profit margins earlier. Um, sometimes uh, a lot of sales doesn't necessarily mean profitability. Yeah. But it's a good first step to have to prove that somebody wants this and they're willing to buy it. And uh, yeah. and maybe the sales are increasing month after month over the past some period of time. So it's an important question. It is, I, and I'll tell you, I had a business concept not too awfully long ago. And I was asked, as we talked about it, what would you do with you know, $5 million? Because the, that investor was kind of at that level. And I, we didn't have a, a great answer for one, but two, he said for that, he's gonna want more than 50%. I said, no way. And it just drove us back to, we're gonna bootstrap this thing till we have exactly that. We're gonna prove this thing so that at whatever level of money we take, we give away less. Uh, but man, exactly when you're, right. when you, before having that, uh, it's hard to it's hard to command much. Um, and you talk. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say we're going to talk about investment money here in a moment. That I and, I and I really want to bring that back up on one of the other questions because that comes up every time, and and it's really really a key thing what you just said. Well, well, if you want to go into that, I mean, you mentioned already valuation. That's your number two question. How did you come up with that valuation? Now, again, I want people to hear this. Even if you're not looking for money, this is still how do you uh, how do you conceptualize and value your business? But for those of you who do think you need money, I mean, this is where it comes down to, and this is going to be a question whether you're looking for a. a to a degree, an SBA loan or investment money from exactly. an angel investor or venture capitalist, or even even friends or family. Uncle Bob is going to want to know what's going on. What's your yeah? What's your idea here, man? How? What's your plan? Yeah. The the valuation is is such a interesting subject. Um, uh, Aaron Krauss, who invented Scrub Daddy, is the biggest business that's ever been in Shark Tank. He's he, since he's been in Shark Tank, he's done over two hundred and eighty million. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's $280 million in sales. He did a deal with Lori Grenier. 
but I was talking to him recently and we, we, we talked about this subject of valuation again. And, and it comes down to what is somebody willing to pay you for your company to buy? It? That's the valuation. What's well, that? That's the bottom line. So the question is, how do you come up with that number? And if you've got a concept, that's never been sold. You, you just mentioned how hard it is mm-hmm. to get somebody to understand, you know, where, where they're, where they're going to get their money back. That's the problem. How are you going to get your money back? I don't know if anybody wants this or not. So the evaluation for an idea is not that much. Um, but if you've got sales and maybe you've got inventory, uh, maybe there's some uh, hard assets that you can use for value, but it comes down to how much money can I make based on how much you've made over the past few years, how much money can I make in the future by buying this business? And it, it, it comes back to profit you know, sales dollars and profit. And so it, it, it gets so, uh, scary. Uh, one of the businesses that I talk about in the book, eco diva, she had sales, but her first thing, when she sat down, wanted to hire me as a coach, she said, I said, what do you want to do with this business? What's your plan? What, you know, where do you, where do you want to end up? And she said, I want to sell this business. Hmm. And so we started dissecting the business. She didn't know what her costs were. She didn't know, you know, how much money she was making. And, and she was so busy working on the business that she didn't know the details. Oh. And so the first step was to break that business down piece by piece. How much are you really making? And in the process, she ended up stopping all of her sales to Kroger, one of the biggest uh, yeah. stores in the country, because the profit margins were so small yeah. and the work that was required to make that money was not worth the while. So she stopped doing that and started working in areas where it was more profitable. And she created a nice business plan for somebody to be able to come in and see that they could, they could run a profitable business and take it over. And here's the key. She was willing to stay on for a year to help them be the face of the company to make the transition. Huh. So you see, it's not, there's not one easy answer for valuation, is there? Yeah, well, and I appreciate you, you know, you mentioned multiple times profits, you know, sales and profits, because yeah, so she pulls out of Kroger's and, I, and I've heard uh, so many stories of people who have pulled out after the big win of Walmart's going to carry my product and they pulled out because they beat them down to the margins are so small. And I think that's happening on Amazon somewhat and come back and can I create a, a premium product uh, that actually has some sales? So yeah, just having that number of sales doesn't always mean Profit sounds so basic, but how many of us, me involved as entrepreneurs, can get into that problem? We were making sales, not making any money, maybe losing money, making sales. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, three, your third question. How did you finance your business? And I remember this at the beginning of uh, you know some of my first experiences and talking with investors, that as the founder of a business, you have put your blood, sweat, and tears into it, they don't always value that as much as you do, huh? No, no. Yeah. Uh, what happens in Shark Tank is uh, there, there's two types of scenarios. And there's multiple types, but this is the two extremes, okay? Um, you've got a guy that comes in there, and let's say he's got sales of $150,000, okay? Been in business a couple of years. He's, he's going to do 150000 this year. Um, when they start digging and they say, well, where'd you get the money to start your business? Oh, I did it myself. I, I, I bought, you know, I, I, I spent $700 to start this business and I bootstrapped it. And, uh, and I, I'm going to keep $65,000 of that 150 this year in my pocket. The sharks are going to, it's debt free. They bootstrap. There's no debt. There's no other investors. 
this is the most clean, coolest. Mark Cuban's going to—he's going to jump out of his chair and start cheering, right? You got a second scenario: a business comes in; they've done two point two million dollars in the last year. Wow! Look at those sales. Well, in order to do that, they're burning five hundred thousand a month in advertising in the ne- in the negative. They've sold so much of their business they only own 25 percent to get more funding to keep the business running to keep those sales going all of a sudden you've got a business that's in debt yeah. it's got investors that these people only own 25 percent and and you know they owe you know a uh, million dollars in uh, in outstanding loans that it doesn't matter this 2.2 million the the hundred fifty thousand dollar business is more attractive because he's debt free he bootstrapped and yeah. it's a clean way for the the shark to come in and invest and help them blow that business up. I, Pierce, literally yesterday, somebody I'll keep anonymous, uh, they <laughs> achieved great acclaim as uh, the, the fourth highest sales volume in an affiliate uh, campaign. And I found out yesterday in talking with them, they spent $275,000 on Facebook to achieve that. And they'll, at the end of the story, they're going to have made about two hundred fifty grand. They lost money. But all we saw was they got top four in this big thing. Now, uh, granted, in that story, now from that, they're having some other sales that will eclipse that and give them some profit. But from that campaign, man, it was uh, it, it, it took away some of the shine of that yeah. achievement. Yeah. But the thing is, we understand that some businesses require more upfront capital yeah. to get started. They require more research, more, you know, infrastructure to get going we also understand that there is a burn rate that you spend sometimes trying to get your product out there and get it known but in my opinion you know i use kent julian wrote a great chapter in the book how he bootstrapped his business he went from being a youth pastor to owning a six-figure company and 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 he's been debt-free through the whole thing and he's built an incredible company and a great lifestyle for himself very successful invested in real estate done all the cool things and he's done it with a, he sleeps good at night. He doesn't have all those worries and all those things going on. And so to me, you know, if you can bootstrap, then it's great. Damon John, who's one of the sharks, yeah. um, wrote a book called The Power of Broke. And he says, the power of broke, if, if you don't have any money, you find a way to do things that don't cost money. Yeah. He was going around taking his clothes to um, MTV video shoots where the rappers were, and he would get them to wear his clothes. And he was he was doing all these things to try to to get exposure that didn't cost him anything. And uh, and he said, you know, if you've got a lot of money, he said, a lot of times you just make mistakes. You spend too much, and you don't focus on the important things, and you try to fix it with money. And he said, it's just it's almost better to to start it and, and build it from, from zero. It's a, you, you do a better job. In this same line, how, how are they, uh, the sharks, how are they primarily perceiving the, uh, you, you know, what we've seen in the, especially with social media. Hey, I've got this app, I've got this site, I've got this whatever, and we are driving you know, a million people a month through that, or we have all these members. And we're not making any money, maybe losing money like mad, but we have established the demand. Now, there is some value and we've seen some, you know, some unicorn investments with stuff like that where they go, oh my gosh, you got all these people, a certain percent of the populace, we're going to throw money at it. I think that did happen. What's that landscape look like today? Well, it's, 
you know, there's always the one, like you said, the unicorn that where somebody's going to look at it and they're going to say, this is really relevant. This is what well, one of the things that comes up on shark tank all the time is how long is this going to last? Yeah. Is, is, have you already peaked? If you've gotten this many millions of, uh, of followers is, uh, who's going to copy this? Can they knock it off and, and do it a little better and, and put you out of business? And so sometimes the longevity of some of these new tech apps and other things, you know, they're so short that uh, you, if, you, if you're not there at the beginning and you're, you know, you, you're already behind kind of thing. And so that, yeah. that's, the, that's, that's what I see a lot of times on the show is they're looking at it. Can, can this be, be scaled and have longevity? Yeah. Well, so your fourth question, do you want or need a partner? And that one is such a big question. I think for anybody, again, even if you don't want investment for partnerships, now I'm in a business right now. It's my, uh, it's actually my second literal partnership and it's a 50, 50, uh, partnership. The first one I did, ultimately I walked away from because I wasn't in complete alignment with my partner. We actually had brought, then brought another one on. That was the primary reason the business was actually working. But what soured me was I just wasn't in alignment uh, with my partner. Now I'm in one that I absolutely am in. Now in between is a lot of stuff I've done just myself and there's pros and cons to both sides. So hit on that. How do they address that or perceive that question? Well, I'm always going to believe that if you can do it by yourself, then you should. Okay. I, I just, I just think that what is good today, you know, you're not sure if it's going to be good five years, 10 years, or when the build, business build, builds to a certain size and you're doing a certain amount of volume and it's time to start making decisions, you know, there's going to come a time when, you know, just about every partnership I've seen in some form or fashion, as they get, the older they get, you know, the more frustrated one of the partners get mm-hmm. with how things are going. And, and one of my clients right now is an attorney and he, uh, he was like you, he wasn't aligned with his partner and, uh, he had to, he had to separate it. So, but, but I understand that shark tank and the world is full of partnerships that have worked out great. I, I just think that because of what you learned from the first partnership, I think that you went into the second one with your eyes wide open. Yeah. You, you knew exactly what you wanted out of this. You knew what kind of partner you wanted. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons you would do it. You, you one of them would be money. They have money that, that they can invest and they, and they, that would be one reason. Um, but you've really got to match the values yeah. and you've got to match the, the, uh, um, the direction, you know, the vision is what I should say. You, the vision and the values have to match. Uh, for you to be able to partner with somebody and it be successful. And I, I, you know, you, you can be friends, you can be, you know, business associates, whatever you want to do. Um, but in my opinion, you need to have a well-structured agreement that's, that talks about the fact, what if we get tired of doing this together one day, what's this going to look like? Yeah. You need to know what is that plan going to be? How are we gonna how are we gonna dissolve this and go our own way if that happens? I think it needs to be discussed on the front end. I do know? too. And I, I'll tell you, I am not one that would generally be a good fit for a partnership. I'm a pretty autonomous guy. 
uh, for candor, my partner uh, in in one business is uh, Randy James. Doctor Randy James is my co-host on the True Life podcast. And I know Randy. You know yeah. Randy, and that yeah. the reason that that came together is because uh, we have a friendship unlike any other, and we had a shared uh, interest, and we came to it with eyes wide open, and knew that this could be. Uh, it could be a volatile thing for a relationship, but also it was just, you know, it's a, it's a divine pairing. I mean, if he was an attractive woman, man, it would be all over, you know, it'd be bad. It's a marriage. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, you've known him for many, many years a though, long, before you did that. A long time. We did a lot together. We shared an office, uh, offices together. We still do now. He's, I could hear him on the other side of the wall right there. And it is, it's like a brother. And so that's a unique thing. If, if not for that, I probably would not generally ever. I have a partner, especially a 50-50 partner, and make sure that I had a controlling interest. So that's, for me, that is a unique, and we hear those once in a while, a unique thing. I, I, my dad's talked multiple times about, and you may know more of the details about Andy Andrews, who has a, a business partner, and they're uh, renowned for not having any official contract, anything. That is a very unique, uh, I'll, I'm tempted to use that word, a divinely you know, anointed exactly. opportunity there. Well, when I was talking to your dad about this same subject, um, he he brought brought it to my attention. Anytime you give um, somebody an opportunity to invest, or you become a partner with somebody, you also give them a voice. Yeah, and and they become involved, and it's like um, in a way they've moved into your house. They're having dinner with you. They're they're a part of all the decisions you make about that business. You're not like you said autonomous anymore. Yeah. And it just it, it's one of those things that from talking about moosehead kettle corn they they had to make a decision do i want a partner or not they said no i don't we don't need one and and a lot of businesses that come in shark tank mark cuban will look at them straight in the eye and say you don't need us you need to leave here and do this on your own and that's great advice you know when uh when you need it and you need to be told that so so to me i think it's a it's unique it's in the book because it comes up so often uh, because the people that are coming into Shark Tank are saying, hey, I want to partner with one of you in my business. And it's a, it's a big question. And I just believe it's got to be something you walk into very carefully like you already know. Your next question here, it surprised me, uh, Pierce. It really did. I, I would not have expected that. Do you have a patent? I mean, being involved in business, small business, uh, my entire life, I, I've not personally, it's like one, uh, something I haven't dealt with a whole lot as patents. And yet you have that as a, as one of your seven questions that these guys are asking. So to, uh, explain the value of that, why that comes into the picture so strongly. Well, it's a great, it's a great conversation to have. Most of the people coming into Shark Tank are not selling a service. They're selling a product mm-hmm. of some kind. And so the, the question is, um, the question becomes from the shark, how, what are you going to do to protect this idea and yeah. to keep somebody else from copying it, knocking it off? And uh, so the, that particular chapter was a Q, Q&A with Aaron Krauss, who's got multiple patents and trademarks, and he is a firm believer in protecting your idea. He's been doing it his whole life. He's got all kinds of inventions. And like I said, he's got an almost $300 million company uh, that he's built in eight years since he's been on Shark Tank. And so I sat down with him to talk to him about inventions and the mindsets that you need to be in uh, when you think about protecting your idea. Um, based on my experience, I've always thought that, that, you know, if you have an idea, 
that you that you think that is is going to work, then you need to you need to build it and you need to see if anybody wants it before you spend money on it. Mm-hmm. I just uh, and and so I asked Aaron that I said, you know, I, this is kind of going contrary to what I'm used to hearing. Uh, I personally don't really worry about somebody copying stuff because most people aren't going to take action. Yeah. And then I asked him. I said, I put him on the spot. I said, how many people that have an idea? Do you believe act on it? And he projected one out of a thousand. Wow. Wow. So, so at the same time, you've, you've got people, is, is somebody really going to knock off your idea? Are they going to really go to the trouble to try to beat you to the punch on a patent or getting to market with something? Uh, maybe if you're on Shark Tank and they see the idea, yeah. But some people have come on Shark Tank. Lori Grenier is a QVC queen, and she she believes in getting things patented and protected. And, and it's a very big deal to her that, that, uh, you've protected something. If you've got something that's new, that's never been done, a new way of doing something, the question, the, the whole book is based on the questions that the sharks are asking. And that comes up when it comes time to talk about the product, they say, do you have protection? Or are you going to get knocked off? That's yeah. a question that comes up more and more. Um, I, I personally believe that it's not going to affect most of us in business. It's, but but it's, it's something to consider, and, and you need to know a little bit about how to do that if you want to do some research to see if your idea has – you're not copying somebody's idea. Well, and you know this as well as I do. I, I grew up with my dad, Dan Miller, and that was his – you know, and seeing that – you know, one out of a thousand, that was his perspective. And so when he, whenever he heard, I don't how many times I heard him, uh, I'll say disappointed when somebody was, you know, asking, they wanted some info on a business, but they wouldn't share it. They didn't want to share it with anybody else. And that was his statement is, man, the ideas are a dime a dozen, man. Go talk about it, share it, get counsel on it. Uh, hiding it is uh, pretty much hey. folly. It's the idea Action. If you're really worried about it, get an NDA. Get yeah. somebody to sign off on a non-disclosure agreement, especially if you're going to look at a manufacturer to build something. But once again, the the conversation's rich. Uh, if if there's anybody listening that has a lot of ideas and maybe they're they are an inventor of some kind, they're going to really enjoy this conversation because he has been one since he's been a little kid. He's found new ways to do things his whole life, and uh, and and for him you know, protecting these ideas has, uh, has, has been to his benefit. And, yeah. and, uh, but he believes that you, you need to be careful and you need to stay away from scams and you need to do it right. So the book gives you some insight onto that. To me, it, do, it's, it doesn't pertain to me because I don't have anything yeah. that I'm trying to protect in that standpoint, you know, unless the, the words I'm writing are copyright protected. So, um, but that, that was a big enough question that I wanted to include it because it came up so often in the show. Well, and that is relevant probably to put out there that, yeah, Shark Tank is, does tend to veer on the product side, uh, not the service side. You talk, we've talked about Kevin Harrington and I talked to him uh, about a, a business concept a couple years ago that I was working on. And he ultimately, I mean, he, he got, understood it, whatever he said, man, I'm, I'm just primarily product focused. That's where most of my interest is, yeah. my experience and my investments. Uh, and so that's relevant too. your sixth question here. Six out of seven questions. Is your product or company a brand? I love that. Mm-hmm. Go, go into, go into that. Cause I think that's not, I don't think that, again, that's not a concept that most people have in mind. Well, you know, I'm a sales guy. And, and so when it, when it come to, uh, as I've already mentioned, your dad wrote a chapter, Kent Julian wrote a chapter. Yeah. 
Uh, Emily Chase Smith wrote a chapter. Um, I had a lot of contributions. Devin Gino, uh, which you know you know well, and Jimmy Gibson is a branding, yeah. uh, uh, you know, marketing expert. Um, we call him the branding magician. And then, and people that have the ability to uh, develop a brand have a unique skill. And one of the things that if you'd asked me when I met Jimmy and I met him at, 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 uh, at one of your events out in Colorado, that's the first time I ever met Jimmy. Yeah. And, um, I might've met him at dance once, but then we, we met out there again, but regardless, he has a unique way of looking at things. I couldn't have told you what a brand is unless you talk about what they're doing to cattle in Texas, when you stick that <laughs> you know, hot brand on, yeah. but yeah. it's the same concept. That's yeah. where the word comes from is that you're, you're doing something he, he, he does a great job of explaining the fact that um, a, a lot of people on Shark Tank come on and said, hey, man, I'm creating a brand here. They're trying to sell their, their brand and their idea. When it really comes back down to it, it's every interaction that you have with your customers that they it's how they view you and it comes down to values it comes down to your business card it comes down to your logo it comes down to your website it comes out to how your pocket your package your product is packaged excuse me it's everything that every interaction that they have with your business that tells them something about your company yeah and so that's the brand. I mean, and so people that know Coca-Cola, they know what, as soon as I say the words, people can see the logo in their mind and they know what they probably can hear a commercial in their head, or they know what it tastes like, or they know what the, the image that that company is trying to, you know, yeah. uh, you know, attract. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one of those things is a little bit harder to understand. And I, and, and people talk about brand on Shark Tank. And I felt like Jimmy needed to come in and explain that for people. So they knew, and he does a little exercise in there to help people understand how to know what their brand is. Well, I Pierce, it's really relevant to me because I'm going through, I have my own platform being built and that is such a big focus and it's acute to me. I'll let everybody know. I, I vet, I don't know how many books a week, authors, you know, speakers, personalities, people who want to be on the show. Uh, it's almost a full-time business right there for us just to, just to vet people to have on the show. And so I'm looking at people constantly and I'm, you know, trying to be time efficient. And it's amazing how often somebody who is a great person with a great message, but it takes me so long to figure out what are they about? What are they about? What is their, I'm going to say their flavor in essence. And you talked about Coca-Cola. You know, I think uh, we often talk about Apple. They have done such a great oh, yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, I can think of all the, you know, since the dawn of the personal computer, which you and I are old enough to, to remember, you know, there's been so many different computer companies and which one of them has a specific image pretty much none of them, but Apple, I think, you know, right. they have, we all know to be, you know, they started off as just for those who are different, you know, who doesn't want to be different. I want to be different. And right. I, I, their branding, all I own technology wise is Apple stuff. And I couldn't even tell you why it's because they got their brand into my noggin and now I'm loyal to it. And, uh, and, and, and you know, at the end of the day, um, not only do I have everything that's Apple, but it works. Huh? It works. It's one of those things where if somebody tried to say, hey, well, you know, you could really go over and buy this other thing and it'd be, it'd be so much less expensive. I said, yeah, but when am I going to have to buy it again? And how is it going to fail when I need it? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that over and over, it's proven to me, not only is it, does it stand up to what it says, but it's lasted for years and years and it's dependable and it does what it says it's going to do. And um, 
I, I just tell you what, I, they, they deserve the success they've had because they, they put out good product. And I, I think that they have done, they have probably, I don't know of another company, I'm trying to think, who has created what seems like the most loyal fans, uh, the most loyal customers they have. But, you know, coming back to what are they about? And if you go through your purchases and the people that you follow, you generally are, 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 you know what they're about. And I see Pierce, so many people who haven't done the jobs. And I can, I can tell you the authors, the personalities out there who have made a specific brand and we know what they're about. I mean, we're Simon Sinek. He's the why guy, you know, I mean, everybody knows that he's done a great, beautiful, you know, job of doing that. And yet I see so many, and again, they've got a good message, but it's just not clear what they're, I'm going to say again, what their flavor is. And uh, we do the work to, I appreciate you saying that. And I think Jimmy taught me that as well. We do the work to try to influence our brand, but ultimately it is the customer out there who tells us what our brand really is, what they think of us. And a lot of times they just don't know. They just don't know. And I think that's why it can be, but it can be created. Yes. If, because if you want, if you know what you want to project and what you want your customers to get out of the experience, you create the brand by providing that experience for Apple, they always anticipate what we need that we don't know we need. Yeah. Steve jobs was perfect at saying, you know, people were saying, well, why would I need thousand songs on a, on a, on a, well, he told everybody, yeah, you're going to want this. This has got a, this iPod's got a thousand songs on it. You're going to want to carry it around. Well, the next thing you know, everybody's carrying one around and, and the rest is history. So, I mean, they are anticipating what we want. And, and I think is uh, as a coach or as a writer or as a, you know, whatever, I, I think that, that, you know, if I'm not, I'm not going to be relevant if I'm not anticipating what the needs of people are, just like, uh, I think Zig Ziglar was such a, so great at anticipating what, what w- people were going to need to be successful. Yeah. And, uh, he, 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 and he was able to say it in a, in a way that was so understandable and so, uh, you know, he could just—he just knew how to hit the hit the mark. Well, he—he he, he absolutely did say it uh, specifically, and and I'm a little irritated at him and you who have that voice alone as a brand. I, I don't have that. I, <laughs> you got—I I want a voice like Zig Ziglar or Pierce Mars because uh, it's a brand in and of itself. All right. Well, seventh question here: What is your plan? And that sounds super basic, but I don't think people conceive the value of it. So take us through that. All right, here's what happens, okay? So they asked all these questions. They beat these people, you know, bloody all through this whole presentation and negotiation. And then all of a sudden, Robert Hershevac, he's, he's probably been the guy that's asked this question more than anything. He'll look at, straight at the entrepreneur and he'll say, what's next? Where do you go from here? And the reason he's asking that question, he wants to know, am I going to be able to believe in your vision and where you're going so that I can come along this ride with you? And so what time, what happens at that point is somebody says, well, I, I've been on Amazon and I've been on my own website and I, you know, I'm really doing well. I'm making a lot of money, but I really want to go into retail. <laughs> and and then, you, then you'll get a, sometimes a, a gasp or a sigh from all the sharks because they think that's the worst idea hmm. because you, like we talked about earlier, you, you create a whole lot more issues when you go start going and dealing with wholesale and dealing with companies and doing all that. And so if they can't agree on where you're going, they won't come along for the ride. What that means to you as a personal entrepreneur is that every time I sit down in a coaching session, Kevin, I, w- I want to know three things. I want to know where are you now? 
And then my next question is, where do you want to go? What, where do you, where does this company, you see this company three years or five years from now, what do you, what is your vision for that? And as soon as we have that set, then we can start creating a plan to get you there. It's just like the lady that I told you, Eco Diva, she's in the book. She said, I want to sell my business. And I said, okay, all right. So here's where we are. You want to sell your business in two years. All right. In order to do that, we've got to do these things. And so we went to work. And while I was finishing this book, I got a text message from her that said, I just signed my contract to sell my business. And, and I, I was able to go full circle with her while I was creating this book. So how, how important it is to know with, with the business that you're working with, your partner, I mean, you've got something in your mind about where you want to go. And mm -hmm. if you don't sit down and ask yourself those questions on a regular basis, where are we, where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? You, it's not, it's not a one-time thing. You throw it in the drawer and then check it in a couple of years and see if you made it. It's a constant process of asking the question of where you want to go and making the decisions and getting counsel about those decisions. So if you believe they're the right decisions, um, there's a great story. One of, one of my best friends, Jason Cruz, he's a pastor. He's a great man. Um, he had a business idea and he, in his mind, he had it all laid out. He believed it would work. He knew what he wanted to happen in five to 10 years. And he went to nine, nine people of the most successful people he knew. And whatever he, he measured success in, he believed he respected these nine people the most. He went to each one of them and presented the idea. And this is the question he asked. He says, tell me why this won't work. Hmm. Don't give me a bunch of stuff about it being a great idea. And yeah, you ought to go for it. I want you to tell me, tear this apart. Tell me why I shouldn't do it. Why it's a mistake. Well, he got a thumbs up from nine people and he went on and, and act and it, it happened just like clockwork. It was a great business. It, it succeeded and did well, but he was willing to say, I, I'll let you tell me what I don't want in this business. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is why you have to have a plan. How many uh, curious of the people who present on shark tank, how many of them have a viable answer to that question? What would you guess? I would say I would say that um, nowadays more than they used to. Uh, as the show has progressed over the past eleven seasons, people have gotten smarter yeah. and they're more prepared. Okay. Uh, in the early days, very few of them ever gave a good answer for that. I would say it's more than half now that have a, a viable plan. They all have a plan. It's just a matter of whether they believe the sharks believe it's the right plan, and and sometimes the sharks are right and sometimes they're not, but. The thing is, the, to me, the smartest people that leave Shark Tank, if they go out of there and they don't get a deal and they're doing the interview, the smartest people will take their advice. They'll say, you know what? I'm going to consider what they told me. I'm going to, this hour and a half that I've had with these five millionaires and billionaires, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to go back and break it down and I'm going to study and I'm going to make the changes that I need to make because they've been there. They know more than me. Yeah. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. So those are the seven questions. Now, in the book, you've got an eighth bonus question. Should your business give back? Tell me about mm -hmm. that one. Well, the reason that I've put that in there, um, because there's a lot of companies that have been very successful, like Tom's Shoes, for example, mm -hmm. that has, you know, they, their business was started, you know, because he saw a need 
He said, you know what? I'm going to start a shoe company and I'm going to give away a pair of shoes for every time somebody buys a pair of shoes. And, and, and that was something that came from his heart, yeah. uh, his, you know, his purpose, you know, he wanted to do that. And more and more of the businesses are building their, and at least, you know, a percentage of their profits are going to, to help uh, certain things. One successful business, uh, when she, she was going through a very hard time in her life, um, she, she prayed that if the business was ever successful, she wanted to build orphanages in a third world country. Hmm. And, and since she did a deal with Barbara Cork and her and her husband, they've built multiple orphanages over there. It's on their website. It's the center point of what they do. Yeah. They've got this great, great products that everybody loves, but the center point of what they're the most proud of is how they have been able to take their success and help those orphans over there in that other country. So it, it, to me, it, it needed to be said that, um, you need to be profitable. You need to build a business that's successful so you can take a portion of those profits and do something good with them because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously am a fan of the book. I'm a fan of you, Pierce. I mean, sales is, you know, it's what made Zig Ziglar where, uh, who he was and started him on his journey. It's a, it's a focus we can never have enough of here. And uh, I appreciate who you are, how you do it. And uh, grateful that you put this together. It's just, it's great advice. This is the, you know, the concept, how we perceive our businesses that I see. Well, I'll raise my hand. I have not done well so many times and I've had businesses that have suffered, not even that they haven't gone on to succeed to some standpoint, but we, uh, you know, had to endure a lot of challenges we wouldn't have if we had done this. So I'm grateful for this. It's a great offering to the Ziegler audience. And thank you for being here. And thanks for giving us your time. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really, there was a moment, Kevin, when I, when I asked myself, do I want to finish this? Because it took me a while, it took yeah. me longer than I meant to. I said, is this a project worthwhile? Because I've done nine years of podcasting and I've got, I, I just feel like somebody would, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, sales is my main thing. Communication is my main thing, but I just felt like I had to tell myself and I had to pray about it. And I, I said, you know, this needs to be finished. Yeah. I, I, I need to finish this because I believe it'll help somebody. And so that's the, that's the reason I did it. And I am honored that you would have me on this show and, uh, and, and to get to spend some time with you. I hadn't seen you in forever. So I, I thank you so much, brother. Hey, I'm honored to be the messenger. Thank you. Thanks for everybody who tuned in. Well, there you go, friends. Such a solid show on sales and business and faith with Pierce Mars. Uh, Pierce, again, his new book, Could You Survive Shark Tank and his surviving Shark Tank assessment. You can get them at Shark Tank Book. And also connect there with him about his coaching and speaking. Coming up in episode 794, what will your new normal be? I mean, most everyone's lives have been significantly disrupted in 2020 by COVID-19. The concept of a new normal is a hot topic as many businesses have now reopened. Uh, I, of course, wanted to hear from you. So I posted a question on my personal Facebook page at Agent K. Miller, where you're welcome to join these weekly discussions. But I ask, what aspects of your new normal do you want to retain, even if things are to get back to the way that they theoretically were? 
uh, from the submissions, some of the aspects we covered, you know, questions, will you work from home, continue to work from home or work more from home? Will you send your kids back to school and all the extracurricular activities and rushing around? Will you eat out as much or keep cooking more at home? How about personal time for yourself and your family? Are you going to keep that up? What about investing in any hobbies and personal projects that you began reading? People have been doing that more. Will you continue the increased outside time? Uh, these issues and so many more are what Tom Ziegler and I read through and talked about. It brings up the need and opportunity for all of us to ask some big questions and ponder some important and I think exciting decisions. Uh, it's happening for me right now in my own family. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 